Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy. I'm your host, Chris Sass. And today we're going to talk COP27. And with me is Irina Kotimsky. Irina, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I saw a post that you put on LinkedIn that said you just come back from COP27. And I quickly reached out to you and said, hey, you know, I'd love to have you on the program to share your experiences. But before we do that, let's find out why you even ended up there. So how did you end up going to the COP conference? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I think this has to start way back um, at my sophomore year of college, actually. So this was during COVID. We were all virtual. And a friend of mine was organizing the annual MIT Energy Hackathon, which is an event we put on entirely run by students, where we invite companies to propose challenge space, um, challenges in the energy space. And students get to work and solve those challenges over the course of a weekend. And my friend was organizing the first ever virtual hackathon. And she asked if I wanted to be part of the organizational team. And I care about the environment. I care about sustainability. And I knew I wanted to pursue that in some way in college. So I thought that this would be a great opportunity to explore. And that was my introduction to the MIT Energy and Climate Club and the MIT Energy community overall. And from there, I've stayed active in the MIT Energy and Climate Club. Um, I had a blast organizing the hackathon as part of the team, the following year, I was one of the co-directors, and now I'm one of the co-presidents of the MIT Energy and Climate Club, and do my best to promote um, information on energy and sustainability on campus. And over this past summer, MIT actually reached out to students and sent an application for a few to join the MIT delegation to COP27, um, and it sounded like an incredible opportunity, and of course I applied, um, and was one of the lucky students who was selected to go. So you were fortunate enough to get selected to get sent over there by your university, representing the university. Did you have um, an agenda? Do they have an ASCII view to go and represent the university in some way? What What is MIT looking to get out of the conference? Yeah. So as in particular for the MIT delegation, they were co-sponsoring one panel. Um, but for the students that went, it really was that they invited a diverse uh, set of students. There was two undergraduate students. Um, and a few master's students as well. And the idea there is we come from different areas of MIT, different programs, uh, different student organizations, and to really bring back what we learn and what we experienced at COP27 to campus. Um, so then that can impact our organizations in some way. Okay, so we, we know a little bit about who you are. You're, you're, you're engaged in energy and climate and you're part of MIT community. So tell me about the experience. You, you, you went to the conference. I've heard mixed reviews about the organization of the conference. I've heard that there, you know, some of the feedback from some of my colleagues was mixed on how organized it was. But how, how was the event for you personally? 
Uh, well, it certainly was the largest event I have ever been to, hands down. Um, so I sympathize with the organizational part of it. It was an enormous space with different shuttles running throughout the day, different events going on, uh, locations of events changing last minute. Um, but I think that aside, it truly was the most diverse event I've also ever been to. Um, and it was really neat to be able to walk around, uh, go to events put on by different countries, different organizations, um, hear the national statements from each country about what their priorita- priorities are and what the most urgent challenges are when it comes to climate change for them. Um, and I think overall, it was a great experience. I know in my LinkedIn post uh, where I talk about this, um, of course, it's not all sunshine and roses. Um, one of the things that you do realize is uh, certain countries want one thing, other countries want the exact opposite. Um, and this is where you understand that it becomes so challenging to negotiate at the international level. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, what are some of the takeaways that you got? I mean, I think we have the news articles of, you know, wealthier countries maybe signing up for some some responsibility economically to help countries through climate change. What are some of the hot topics that you sat through and you thought were extremely compelling to you and they're going to be interesting to you? Um, yeah, one topic that I've really been following is uh, the uh, how the war in Europe currently between Russia and Ukraine is impacting the energy um, in Europe right now and also broadly around the world. Um, I went to one event in particular that um, I think I wrote down the title here, um, Impact of Russia's War Against Ukraine on European uh, Climate Policies. And that was a really fascinating event. They had a few representatives um, on the panel. And one of the things they mentioned is that prior to the war, uh, Ukraine was submitting a new nationally determined contribution or NDC goal um, as part of the Paris commitments to reduce uh, the amount of CO2 that the country releases. And then the war broke out. So, of course, there's no way that you can abide by those goals and targets that you set for yourself anymore. And what do you do when all of your goals become meaningless because your country is engaged in a war? Um, and that, I think, was really, really touching. There was an activist on the panel who had been involved um, in pushing Ukraine towards more renewable and sustainable energy, um, but was now working to keep the natural gas industry alive, simply to provide heating and electricity for everyone in the country at the most basic level. Um, and understanding the impact that this will have on Ukraine and Europe broadly um, is something that I've really been following and I think is really interesting. Um, there is a few partnerships and initiatives announced as well. Um, during one of the events at the U.S. Pavilion, um, John Kerry from the United States um, was speaking and announced how uh, the United States, uh, a few other countries in Ukraine were partnering to promote the use of advanced nuclear energy um, as a source of sustainable energy that could be used in Central and Eastern Europe. Um, so you really do hear varied effects about this war. And it's tough because, of course, there's the negative of, I mean, people are fighting for their lives. Uh, but in some ways, the industry is moving forward. Um, and it's interesting to really see how these effects will play out. So was there any conversation about the energy kind of, I mean, the energy gas was already in a bit of a challenge in European policy before the war even broke out, right? Gas had, had a bumpy ride even before that. So uh, I think a number of professionals would say, yes, there's an impact, but it's not the only impact. I mean, if you look at the economy right now, you look at the overhead from um, COVID, the hangover, 
Um, any conversation about that? Because, I mean, I think the economy is also driving a lot of what folks, at least in the European power industry, are looking to do and in making invest going forward. Um, so, sorry, conversations on the on economic- just the general economics of the world today and the impact on climate change and on the the energy independence that people say they want, but then the investment in in renewable energy because yes, the economy is a bit, bit tricky at the moment, right? Yeah, and um, there was a lot of conversations about that as well. I guess even beyond Ukraine, um, I went to. There were some events that talked about development of energy and investment of energy um, in more developing markets in Africa, and in these areas, they are rich in natural resources um, and natural gas. And who's to say that these countries shouldn't um, be using these natural resources to provide for their economies when? Um, other developed countries had been doing that for decades. Um, and it is, um, I guess, yeah, um, economically, what's the right move? And to be, what should we do to be able to phase down the use of fossil fuels, um, but then allow other countries to keep growing? Um, and this is something that came up in the final um, negotiations at COP27, you know, um, at COP26, there had been talk of perhaps next COP, we're actually going to put into words, um, phasing down fossil fuels. And a lot of the protests that were going on at the event of this year, um, despite um, the kind of word on the street that Egypt really is cracking down on protests, their um, protest, civil protesting, there really were a number of activists within the COP27 venue who still were able to stand up and say what needs to be said. Um, about phasing down fossil fuels. Uh, unfortunately, that text did not make it in the final negotiations of COP27. Um, so I guess for the foreseeable future, um, I d- do think that we're going to see a growth of fossil fuels simply for the economic development um, that countries need and demand. Um, but that is certainly a hot topic um, as so we go forward. What country did you hear speak that surprised you? What What one did you kind of go, huh, I didn't, I didn't think they'd have this position or it was alter, you know, not where you thought they might be. Maybe you thought they were more progressive and they were less progressive, but w- were there any surprise speakers that you heard or representations that you heard? Yeah. Um, actually one of the days, um, so again, going, I guess going back to the whole, uh, complicated venue setup. Uh, so the main zone where we spend most of our time as delegates with the badge access was the blue zone which is where the negotiations were taking place, which is where all of the countries had their pavilions. Um, there were a few other public zones uh, open to anyone who wished to um, join. And those were the green green zone. And there was also this area called the Climate Action Zone, which we visited one day. And also the um, Saudi Arabia Green Initiative pavilions, which were their own separate venue. Um, and we actually stumbled upon them by accident. We were just walking down the street. We had taken the wrong shuttle to the wrong place and we decided to check it out and go in. Um, and Saudi Arabia, um, had this whole pavilion set up about innovations in climate sustainability going on in the country and ways that they're trying to transform their economy solely from oil and gas, um, and petrochemicals. And I think that was a really interesting perspective, um, because you see, them pivoting towards more sustainable products, towards um, designing uh, new solar panels 
that instead of being made out of a metal and glass frame are made out of a plastic frame. Um, and the idea there is, well, they're lighter to transport. It means they're e- cheaper to transport. Um, in some ways, that makes them more durable to where you're planning to set them up. Um, but then you also see that, well, this plastic is probably coming from the petrochemicals that Saudi Arabia um, is extracting and then refining. So it's really a fine balance. And I think that was really interesting to hear um, and meet people who are really passionate about um, bringing forward change, but also keeping it sort of in the back of your mind that it's not just an easy, straightforward. Um, there's definitely compromises that have to be made at every single level. You, you mentioned John Kerry speaking. Who else spoke on behalf of the U.S. that you heard speak? Yeah, um, so John Kerry, I was lucky enough to see in person. He was at one of the panels at the U.S. Center um, in doing an introduction. And that event in particular was, um, I think the name of it was U.S. Conservative Goals uh, in Climate Change. And that was a fascinating panel. That honestly was one of my favorite events um, because at the end of the day, I'm going back to the United States. This is where I can have the most impact. And this is where um, I have to be standing up and uh, talking with other people and bringing change. And that panel had um, a the one of the directors from the United States um, Citizens for Responsible Energy Group, which is a conservative-oriented um, organization that promotes um, renewable, sustainable, um, responsible energy policies. And Heather Reams from Citizens for Responsible Energy was there, as well as a number of U.S. representatives from the House um, were also speaking on the panel. And it was really interesting to hear their opinions and their takes on the energy transition. So you mentioned that you go to MIT. Now, are you a graduate or undergraduate student? I am an undergraduate student. I'm a senior. Okay, so you're, you're wrapping up at MIT. You, you mentioned in our pre-conversation before we started recording that you were applying to perhaps some graduate programs, some prestigious graduate programs, and I assume that's in energy? Yeah, I'm planning on pursuing a master's in energy after I graduate. And, and I guess my question would be, so you had this great opportunity. You were exposed to a, a unique view of the world that, that many can't get firsthand. How do you think that impact you to what you want to do now in the future? So does, has it changed your drive to how you want to make your impact to maybe, uh, you, know, per, you know, the energy transition of the future? Yeah, I think um, one thing that you see so clearly going to an event like COP27 um, is there are simply so many stakeholders all around the world in this issue. And you can focus on it solely within the United States. Uh, but then there's also a global perspective where there, there are other people who are making progress or innovating in this space. Um, there's a lot to learn from them. There's also a lot of um, work that can you can help by doing in other places in the world. Um, so this is something that I, I grew up in the United States. I did my undergraduate degree in the United States. And over the past few years, I've really been trying to get involved in uh, projects or classes that discuss more on a global level, like what are the challenges that we have in the energy transition. Um, and I think going to COP27 really just emphasized that we need to be doing this on a global scale and with a global um, bottom line in mind, because climate change isn't just going to be impacting the United States, it's going to be impacting everyone. Um, and it really, I think this mindset of being a global citizen is something that I think is really important to me and something that I will 
kind of take with me wherever I go in the future. So do you believe from both the conference and your experience that we have the technology we need today to stave off climate change? Uh, we have a lot of the technology. I don't think we have all the technology. Um, in an, I guess, an ideal world, we would have already developed nuclear that people trust and that is easily uh, relocated to new facility, uh, to new areas, so we can spread it the use of it. Um, and also, battery storage, I think, has a long way to go. Um, carbon capture and storage um, is, I know, a something that's has mixed opinions, but I do think that having progress on that will also be crucial to our energy transition and getting key stakeholders on board with any agreements that get made. Um, so some of those technologies already exist, but a lot, I think, is still to be developed. Um, but whatever we do already have, um, there is a lot that can be implemented immediately because the technology is there. Now, you mentioned a couple answers ago, you talked about protesters making a point. So you, you clearly have passion for climate change or activism, and, and you were you were saying, hey, th their voice didn't really get heard. Um, do we need their voice heard? It isn't, isn't the COP27 conference, the world getting together, understanding there's a problem? Or you think that it's, it's just politics and business as usual? Why, why do I need activists to go to a climate event like this where the world's trying to solve a problem together? I guess I, I'm just curious because you, you said it very passionately, like, hey, their voice didn't get heard. So you didn't feel from that comment, I didn't feel like you believe that the, the people were taking this seriously and they needed to hear more more input. Help me understand that. Yeah. So I think of all of the point so of all of the reasons that COP27 gets criticized, one point that you can't criticize it on is that it is a platform that puts the voices um, on climate change across the entire spectrum on the world stage, including activists who might not normally be able to get across to the rest of the world, who might be working in a small community in a, in a nation that is going to be underwater if nothing happens um, with rising sea levels and climate change. But they're there in front of the venue being filmed by film crews from around the world and getting their message across. And I think that is something that makes COP27 really an important place for protesters to participate and really make sure that their voice is heard. Um, I know one of the pavilions that I didn't expect um, to spend so much time, and I ended up going to a number of events, was the Children and Youth Pavilion. And I think the energy there very much was of, this is our time and we need to do something now. Um, and I think that was just a very inspiring place to be. Um, it was the first time that a COP conference had a youth, um, children and youth pavilion. Um, and I think that is maybe um, a small win relative to negotiations that are happening, uh, but something that's really cool. And I'm looking forward um, to keeping an eye on in future COPs. Well, I, I personally believe that energy and energy transition is one thing a young person can make a difference in. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier in the show, I talked about our future leaders program and the content that these ETH students put together for the podcast. And the concept that podcast came out when I was talking to them saying, hey, you know what? You just finished your master's degree from ETH. You guys can actually make a difference. You don't have to go work for a big company and do crazy things. You know, even as a 20 something, you can actually change the world. And that was their concept to start that, that young folks can make a difference in energy. Um, I think, you know, a conference when you have world leaders together, it's a bit more complex. So the more energy you do, the harder you realize the situation is, right? You start out and you say, well, we should not use 
hydrocarbons. They're, they're just horrible, right? And then you realize that life as we know it probably won't exist if we stopped them all tomorrow. So how do you get a transition in a way that, that gives people quality of life? So I, I guess, you know, you, you got to see the world stage. Um, you know, one thing is you said it's a, one of the largest conferences you've ever been to. So is that an ironic thing that, that people fly in from all over the world for this big conference, air conditioned in the desert, to go talk about climate change? Do you not find that somewhat ironic? Uh, I touched upon this in my LinkedIn post that there is greenwashing at COP. Countries are going to show up. Companies are going to show up and applaud the achievements that they're making in sustainability and reducing their carbon emissions without even kind of considering, well, this is the smallest fraction possible to get to net zero. And that in some ways is sort of confusing the bottom line is, well, we need to reduce our carbon emissions to the point where they're not increasing year on year. And that is something that you need to show up there ready to be aware of. Uh, you can't just take every single word for word, but really be there. And certainly these achievements are great and they're in the right direction. And I think that's what matters is overall as a conference, as a community, we've acknowledged that this is an issue and we need to make change. Um, and from here on out, now we just need to keep the pressure and get that transition going faster. Now, did other people that went with you from the delegation, either on faculty speak or were there other folks from MIT that, MIT that actually spoke at the conference? Yeah, so there were a few other professors and there was also a number of other students who went in week two. Um, to my knowledge, the students who went in week two uh, didn't participate in any of the panels, um, but I know one of the students that we were in touch with before the event, we had some group chats going with other students in the Cambridge area um, and from other universities. And one girl that I met for the first time was helping to organize an event at the Children Youth Pavilion. And that one, I think, was really impactful because kind of going back to this irony of who gets to fly thousands of miles to the middle of the desert for this important conference. Um, so she works with a nonprofit called Restless Development. And what they were talking about is all the voices that don't get represented at COP. What happens to them? And they had reached out, put together videos with a number of individuals who were active in the sustainability space or in the energy space, but simply didn't have the means, the resources, the opportunity, the accreditation by an organization to go to the conference, to ask them about the work that they're doing, record their messages, and be able to share these messages with the conference. One of the campaigns that they spoke about in this panel was the missing person campaign. And I thought this was particularly clever where they shared profiles on these um, organizers saying, hey, have you seen this person? They're missing from, from the COP27 conference. They were last seen doing this. And all these people are working on incredible work. Like they're um, trying to increase the um, prote protection of mangroves. Um, they're working to promote energy in their communities. And I think that in some ways is frustrating because these are voices that deserve to be um, part of the conversation, but are not present at the COP27 conference. Um, and I think finding ways to broadcast their messages um, is something that the Children Youth Pavilion truly succeeded in doing at the conference, and I hope is able to do in the future too. 
So you, you came back passionate. You sounded like you were passionate before you left. Did you build a network or meet some people that you think will help change your direct trajectory of your future? Um, so for a few days, I actually was sick and I did try to keep away from other people and wear a mask. So that was that was probably the most unfortunate part of the conference. But as soon as I felt better, um, I was back in the room. Um, I met a few I met students from a number of different universities. And I think making connections with other young people is so important because energy and sustainability is such a vast topic and it's it's easily discouraging in some ways we're working against a race that it feels like we're we have no chance of winning and i think having other people kind of in the same position as you are the same age uh with the same aspirations and the same understanding of the energy transition is just really wonderful to have that support network and to learn from each other and see what's possible what's out there um, so I'm really thankful to have met those students. Um, and then also, I guess, on a more professional level, interacting with some of the panelists that I went to. Um, another one of my favorite events was a panel put on um, about spreading uh, solar access to remote communities around the world. Um, and this was sponsored by Sustainable Energy for All, c for all um, And the panel had representatives of remote communities in Canada Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. And they spoke of how um, remote solar microgrids and installations truly have an impact in their communities. And this was really, really interesting to learn about. Um, I'm currently working on a team of students at MIT um, called EarthBond. Uh, we're um, a startup that's trying to increase solar adoption in Nigeria. So hearing the perspectives of these individuals and see for all uh, was really, really valuable. And I'm looking forward to staying in touch and um, talking with them and getting advice for our project. Well, that sounds pretty amazing. It sounds like it was a life-changing experience. It seems like you you did a good job of representing your school there. Um, now, one final question I have is if you're trying to go again next time, do you want to go to the next conference? Is that like a priority? Are you trying to figure that's out how to finagle that? That's a great question. That's a great question. So um, I think I would not have even considered going if I did not have the support of MIT um, since that would be exorbitantly expensive. Um, but also, frankly, I guess coming back to that, well, why are we all flying out here to the desert? Um, I think certainly easily sending another student to have the same life-changing experience uh, would be a thousand times more important than sending me for a second time since I've seen it, I know what's out there. Um, I think whenever I do return to a cop in the future, um, I hope it's um, at a point where I can say, this is the impact that I've had in the world. And this is how much closer we are to net zero. I think that's, that's when I would want to return. Well, awesome. I appreciate you spending your time and sharing your experience with our audience and insiders guide. Thank you so much for being on today's podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And happy Thanksgiving. Yes. And for our audience, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this content as much as I have. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this episode with your friends for our future leaders program. Please share this as well. And we look forward to talking to you again on Insider's Guide to Energy. Bye-bye.